Hello there. Uh, welcome back to episode two of the VD podcast. Yes, we actually made it for a second one. Um, <laughs> I hope that you're all making that kind of reaction at home. Um, so th- this is episode two um, of the VD podcast. Uh, you might have listened to episode one on homelessness. Um, this is going to be episode two on housing. Um, an issue that interestingly it's not quite as direct um an issue that vdp focus on uh we would deal more with homelessness which of course is linked to housing but um outside of some social justice efforts uh vdp doesn't have a hugely tangible link with it so it is something that many of our volunteers are interested in however and a lot of them have an interest in it and also have some experience with it so uh we have three of our volunteers here this evening who are among the better qualified to talk about it and are just great people in general. So uh, without further ado, I'll ask Jack, do you want to go first and introduce yourself and, you know, what you've done in VDP and maybe your your background in housing or your, your interest in it? Sure. Um, yeah, I'm Jack. I've um, been banging around VDP for a few years now. Um, I was the most notably in my illustrious career, <laughs> I was um, I was the public relations officer. I nearly said representative officer, which doesn't reflect very well on me that I nearly <laughs> forgot the role that I had. Um, but yeah, um, and then I was involved in the Panto and I'm running Teen Club this year, proverbially. But unfortunately, like quite a lot of things, it, it's just an idea um, at the moment. And hasn't actually unfortunately to come to fruition um and yeah i guess my 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 own background or i guess where my interest in in housing kind of started was um i have a pretty um political family um i guess um i've got relatives who um are involved in dublin city council um my own mom is um mommy mommy she works for um uh, tap so she's involved in kind of access to education so I guess inequality was just kind of a, a big part of the discussions around the dinner table growing up um, and then through kind of VDP that interest was was amplified um, but actually it's only really been in the last year of um, relative isolation that I've um, dedicated a lot of my time into um, just really pursuing that interest I guess um, in my own studies um, and kind of increasingly specializing in the more um and well and you'd be happy to hear this the more kind of economic i guess side of housing um (laughs) alongside the kind of um geographical perspective because my background's um my degree is politics and geography um so yeah i've been looking at just financialization particularly um how that's affecting dublin as a city and then also um particularly how it affects um the ability of, of of um councils to provide social housing um and then the kind of ramifications in terms of um the private rental sector um and different kind of i guess theoretical perspectives on that from different cities around the world and comparing that with dublin and kind of seeing where we're going um well as we're going to talk about quite a lot as we're going pretty horribly wrong um at the moment um (laughs) in in that respect um and yeah this year I'm, i'm looking more into kind of linking um um the kind of financialization of housing with um climate change which um sounds like a bit of a reach but i can definitely get into a bit later if you want me to um because that's kind of what i'm 
doing at the moment. Um, oh, so yeah, very heavily <laughs> academic. Perfect. Thanks, Jack. Uh, and it's interesting that you mentioned about, you know, it's, as I kind of mentioned, um, housing is one of those things that it's really hard to have direct contact with it. I don't know if that's the right term to use, but it's always like it, it, it impacts kind of behind the scenes for a lot of people, a lot of other social issues that are more visible and that are more pertinent, especially when it comes to volunteering with VDP. So um, it is, you know, it is often through indirect means or kind of knock on effects that you'd come into contact with it. So um, I get what you mean with that, Jack. Um, and just before moving on, what is a fun fact about yourself? I've been grilling everyone who's come on so far, Ooh. all three guests uh, from, the last, from the last podcast. Do you have a fun fact about yourself for the listeners? Fun fact about myself. When I was seven, um, I nearly, I, you know, those kind of gates um, in like housing estates that um, they're like motion sensor. So like when a car kind of approaches it, it starts opening up. Um, I, when I was a kid, kind of was experimenting with one of them and like putting like rocks in it and seeing if it moved <laughs> back and so on. And then I actually put my head there and I wanted to see if that would like make the gate kind of move back um and it didn't move back so it just kept going and it squashed my head quite a lot Ugh. um and um yeah like it it it's lasting trauma for me i was just thinking about it today because i was talking to someone about motion sensor gates and i was like yeah I think, I think, yeah but i was like i think my head is so big because that happened to me when i was a kid so yeah that's my fun surely would make it smaller wouldn't it is it just well, currently swelled yeah i guess it's kind of like yeah kind of like if you irritate or, or scratch something it kind of swells so my head is a massive lymph node um yeah <laughs> <Perfect>. maybe <laughs> set the set the bar high for the for the fun facts for this episode anyway and in future i'd say yeah. um but dare I say that incident does explain a lot. Um, and anyway, Andy, you're our next guest. Would you like to introduce yourself and you know just a bit about your uh, your link to housing, I suppose, and try and desperately think about a fun fact. I'm sure it won't be tough for you. Yeah, so I was uh, in VDP for Vincent de Paul Society in Trinity for um, I think about two years before a few uh, two two friends of mine also volunteers in the society, uh, Hugh Fitzgibbon and Jack Nathan, for those listening along at home, um, were, were kind of, the three of us decided to reboot this um, kind of social justice activity in the college, uh, which uh, had kind of started the previous year and didn't quite take off. Uh, and we were kind of thinking we should try and like focus on one topic uh, in this new activity or kind of, um, refreshed activity and we thought oh homelessness we're gonna we're gonna learn about homelessness because that's like it's on brand you know for the society and I was going to be kind of the head of research for that and so I was like okay I should figure out what's going on here and um I realized basically within I kind of didn't really know anything about Irish politics um like I couldn't have named you the housing minister at the time um but I realized kind of within about an hour of starting to research that homelessness is kind of just a secondary consequence of this broader housing crisis, which is much more fundamental and, and kind of multifaceted and trickier um, in a lot of ways. Uh, and, and, and kind of, in, in, yeah, I suppose, yeah, more, um, 
more central to like the way politics in Ireland works as well, I would say. Um, and so I kind of felt like I kind of discovered this um, uh, new way of looking at the world and, and understanding it through that lens. And so I got very interested in it. From there, uh, I kind of did that for, for a year then with the, the social justice activity. From there, I got involved in Dublin Central Housing Action, uh, which is a kind of grassroots um, leftist activist group in Dublin, um, uh, which is now, I think, kind of folded into CATU, which is the Community Actions Tenants Union, which I am kind of just got back involved with recently. Um, and I then in fourth year of college uh, um, did a lot of work in applied economics um, for my degree. Uh, and the kind of topic we were looking at there was urban economics, housing and urban development, that kind of thing with uh, Ronan Lyons, who is kind of the the main housing economist working in Ireland today. Um, so I kind of, I have a, a kind of a bit of a, an activist background and an academic background there. Uh, oh, I also was the policy officer in Respond Housing Association, uh, which is a, a approved housing body that is basically a nonprofit that provides housing um, uh, uh, for the, you know, on behalf of the Irish government, basically, um, uh, to low income tenants. A very storied past for, for Andy, but I'm not surprised at all. Andy is somewhat of a founding father of um, social justice in the VDP. And if you could see on our screens here, the beard that's on as well, you would mistake him for one of the founding fathers <laughs> easily. Um, but uh, Andy, I know that that could have doubled as your fun fact easily, but what is your fun <laughs> fact specifically? Oh, God, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, a thing, thing not many people know about is that I'm um, completely invisible. Um, you can't see this at home, but uh, but actually <laughs> Jack and, and Connell and Tom can't see me either. Um, so you're not actually missing out that much. Connell just said that I have a beard, but I presume he can hear that in my voice. It's so weird just looking at a floating beard. It's... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I still think Jack's story about the, the moving gates is weirder. But anyway, uh, we won't judge. Hey, hey um... this isn't a competition, okay? This isn't a competition. Let's not talk about who has the weirdest head, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just a floating head after all. <laughs> but yeah, thanks to Andy. And uh, Thomas, last but not least. Um, hello, um, I'm Tom. Um, so my involvement in VDP, um, my uh, honestly, my involvement in VDP is less than I was hoping for in college, um, mostly to and because of Garda vetting. That got came true for me in about January of last year. And then, as you all know, two months after that, everything got cancelled. <laughs> so I think I got about five times going to T-Club. I just got um, training for street outreach, which I've done a bit this year, thank God. Um, and I've managed to get involved with the Panto this year and also the Social Justice Committee. But um, sadly, not as much in-person stuff as I hoped going into college. But, you know, we'll make up for that in the later years. Mm -hmm. um, outside of that, um, I wouldn't say I have any great specialty in housing. I'd say it's just more of kind of an interest. Um, like Jack, I study politics and geography. Um, so there is a good bit, um, there's a good bit in geography, um, depending on what lecturers you make friends with talking about housing. Um, and I remember just go, um, I remember like doing a little section on it in first year and just find, finding it um, really, really interesting. Um, one thing that I found extremely, we did one like week 
around um it was surrounding the elections and i remember we were going through the different manifestos of the the different parties and one thing that struck me was a lot of them had um a lot of them had we want to introduce the right to a home into our constitution and that just like blew me away just the idea that the right to having a home isn't actually a right in our country and um, something that you think is so um basic um so yeah, it's mostly my course that kind of has spurred my interest. Um, I also uh, worked a good bit with um, with the homeless in the past, doing um, various soup runs. Um, currently, I'm working with another group of people um, on a team called Davis Street Outreach, which is an organization we've put together, which um, one of our main causes is trying to, I guess, trying to spread awareness and education to people surrounding the issues around homelessness. So obviously, um, housing is very linked to it. Um, so with the research team, I've been doing a lot of looks into mostly kind of a comparative kind of case of kind of looking at different countries and their different um, social housing models and just um, just kind of, I guess, more of like a holistic approach and seeing how different countries approach it, seeing how some kind of take a very economic approach. There's others that really focus on like um, like social architecture and how that can be implemented. And um, that's kind of, I guess, if I had to claim specialty in any area, kind of, um, I, I like kind of being able to look at it from a few different disciplines and seeing how they can complement each other and like almost answer each other's questions. Very cool, Tom. Thanks. Uh, and your fun fact. Um, well, this is the fun fact I've used for all of like my um, opening Zoom tutorials this year. Um, <laughs> I'm so, honored to be out of that batch. <laughs> yeah. Um, Fun fact about me is I'm actually quite colorblind and I mix up my colors a lot and it's, you know, got me into loads of kooky situations. <laughs> As kooky as uh, not being able to see Andy in this call. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> must be some, some weird colors today. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks a lot, Tom. Um, Angela, my name is Connell. Um, my interest slash um brushes with the topic of housing uh are kind of exclusively through the homelessness side of things um i have been helping out on soup runs for the last three years or so um and i also have been volunteering with depaul um and now have been working with them part-time for uh about a year and a half so uh all my experience would be just kind of sort of word of mouth and hearing from colleagues, you know, the, the project workers who are the, the experts on trying to get our service users into housing and um, what services they can avail of and all that kind of stuff. So um, it is more through the, uh, uh, the personal experience of just chatting to people than actually having formally studied it like uh, these amazing people have. So that's, that's my background. Um, and my fun fact, uh, there's nine people in my family um, unfortunately not really to do with any sort of um, I don't know anatomy but there you go nine people in my family that's my fun fact um, so uh, I was trying to think of how to start this off because as we've alluded to already a few times like housing is such a broad topic and so complex and affects so many things that there's you kind of have to chip away at it like a I don't know, like it's a bit of marble or something to try and get down to the root problem. It, because you can very easily get swamped and uh, get lost in the jungle of of information. Um, 
So I suppose a starting point that I thought might be reasonable is um, like what is what in the last say six months has been the biggest development in in, in housing in Ireland and then maybe that can kind of work backwards from there and see how like previous stuff has impacted that um, and I know that'll be very topical because of COVID and how that has impacted things um, so I suppose like would anyone have any uh, have any answers to that like what is what's the latest in that front um one thing that jumps to my head straight away was um just from my work i think i forgot to mention it when you started recording i work similar to kind of i work with the peter mcquarrie trust part-time but just hearing from them and especially their housing first team and um, just the way housing affects homelessness they've had like they've made massive strides since covid with like being able to get more houses that they're mm-hmm. able to put people into because of um, just how much it is affected to like the Airbnb market or just um, the general renting market. People have kind of like you know, prices dropped. People kind of gave up on it because they're not getting as much money back from it. So they're able to like get more houses, which obviously means more people are able to get into it, which is really good generally. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been interesting because I think um, I think there's a weird situation where a lot has happened in housing in the last year. And I, but it's not really clear how much any of it will matter in the long run to me right now. Um, I mean, so I mean, I guess right away, you had the um, the the ban the ban on evictions, um, which I was looking at a um, a study done in America um, recently that basically estimated that the eviction bans uh, where they where they happened basically reduced. Um, spread of the disease actually by something like 11 or 12 percent um that that those things actually had a huge impact on the pandemic as well as the other way around um uh but those are presumably going to be lifted at some point uh once things things ease up and then you'll have had all of this pent-up pressure in the uh in the market that's gonna gonna unleash itself apart from that you also have um uh people are, are have been getting like all this money from the government release basically um that they hadn't been getting before and they also are spending less um so probably fewer people are in um kind of uh dire financial straits in some ways um there i mean i i don't have the exact statistics on this for ireland but i know in america their kind of unemployment insurance stimulus really dramatically reduced poverty um and then you also have um, and the kind of a con- one consequence of that, one really visible consequence of that is that homelessness has actually fallen um, for kind of the first time in, in five years uh, by about 2,000 people. So it was 10,000, now it's about 8,000. Um, but again, like how permanent is that is another question. One thing that I think really will have permanent consequences is people are saving lots and lots of money now. People who um who wouldn't have had housing problems um uh but who uh were kind of um as i was saying like spending uh, a lot of money on on restaurants or going out or whatever are now saving that so there's going to be loads of people who are in a position to buy a house in like six months time that wouldn't otherwise have been and that's going to push up housing prices um even beyond where they were it's going to accelerate that oh the other thing as well that i forgot was um the airbnb thing 
uh, that, that Tom just mentioned, uh, which is you have these this kind of one-off uh, addition of two or three thousand units, I think, to the market, um, which is is a lot if you're talking about um, a situation like we have now where things are kind of otherwise frozen. Um, but in the scheme of like 47, we kind of, uh, Ronan Lyons estimated there recently that we needed kind of 47,000 units of housing a year. Um, uh, there are 70,000 people on the social housing waiting list right now. Um, so relative to that, um, it's kind of the, the long-term consequences of it are going to be uh, a little bit, uh, I mean, I, I don't know what they're going to be yet, basically. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, I think. Yeah. Um, and I was th thinking there, I guess, on um, uh, some important developments, I guess, for housing in Ireland as well would be the recent vote on the Oscar Trainer Road was pretty um, bit of a landmark vote or could be again, like, you know, uh, in the moment, it feels like uh, it could be a turning point, but it, um, essentially what it was um, for, for people who don't know. Um, so the Oscar Trainer Road site, it's up in Santry. Um, it was the it was more or less. Um, council land and public land and there was a very important vote in it in November um, more or less on whether to uh, well what kind of development and what kind of housing development was going in there and as we'll kind of talk about more I'm sure um, there's a lot of opportunities to develop public land um, but there's big um, contestation over how you use that public land and I guess what was big in terms of Oscar Trainer Road was that it was a proposed um, public-private partnership um, and essentially that the housing going to be built there wasn't all going to be public housing. Um, so there was going to be cost rental um, um, a part of it. And then the percentages, don't exactly know, but the essentially the opposition, um, it was kind of like the O'Devany Gardens project in that people wanted 100% public housing um, and they felt that the encroachment of any sort of private housing um, even if it was cost rental um, in the current um, you know housing market in Dublin cost rental unfortunately doesn't quite um, transpire to being that that affordable really at all um, so I think more or less councillors voted down that proposition and a lot of people kind of saw that as um, kind of the flip side of, of what happened in in the O'Devney Gardens development where um, it was um, public land, formerly um, all social housing, um, that instead, um, I think it was, a um, correct me if I'm wrong now, if any you know it, but I think it was something like a 20, 30, 50 um, divide in terms of, um, in terms of social affordable and, and private, and more or less, there's so much discrepancy over what affordable cost rental you'll see it when you really get into um looking at housing there's all these terms being thrown out there but there's such a lack of consensus over what it is um, and a lot of it's very misleading um there was a study recently on more or less showed that to get an affordable house in ireland um i think if you were you know a teacher and a, a couple like a teacher and a nurse earning um, an average salary you still actually couldn't afford to get a mortgage on an affordable house so um that's something that is um, really having a trickle-down effect in terms of the, the entire housing market is becoming more inaccessible for um, not only people um, at the lower end of the income um, spectrum, but also, um, you know, middle-class people as well are going to struggle to find a home soon, um, particularly to buy one. Um, and I think that's been exacerbated in, in, in recent months, even if um, 
COVID has um, given some temporary financial relief to a lot of people. The overall trajectory of the housing system really hasn't changed too much. But Oscar Trainer Road does give that little bit of hope. Um, and then I guess a few small ones like the banning of co-living um, was, a was a I guess, a plus because co-living was, um, I guess, um, in theory, a lovely idea. Um, you know, well, it was kind of like one of those innovative, um, buzzy ideas, you know, kind of Grand Canal, Doc Trendy, um, young workers <laughs> living together, you know, um, sharing their co-space and um, slurping down some some flat whites and communal kind of areas. Like it was very idealistic, <laughs> like the, and, but uh, it has worked in other cities, um, but in Dublin, it was just essentially going to be inflationary. So. Um, the prices for these co-living units were very high and um, would have pushed up housing prices more. So um, the current housing minister, Daryl Brown, um, banned the development of more. Now, there are some still being built, um, but there's no you're no longer allowed to get planning permission for them. So, um, yeah, Daryl O'Brien, the, the great hope for Irish housing. Oh, um, <laughs> um, yeah, well, that's arguably uh, that is a good thing that he's done um whether he's the great hope for irish housing is uh, unfortunately a, a less optimistic um i answer. should ask this is D daryl brian no relation to you right well funnily enough my dad actually is called daryl brian as well okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um maybe there is but um i he is from Malahide, um, and I did manage to interview him for a project that I'm working on. Um, mm. So, I mean, if you're listening, Dara, um, <laughs> I love your work. You're doing great stuff. Out there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> um, big fan. Um, and one more thing, um, I guess, just very recently, just um, Daft published a report there the other day, just that rents had dropped in Dublin. I think it was like 3% or something. But again, like this is just, um, you know, it's it, it's it, in the in the overall trajectory of housing, small little things like that, um, they'll be very quickly compensating. Actually, rural, um, in, in, in cities outside of Dublin, like Cork and Waterford, housing prices have actually gone up and rental prices have gone up. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of caveats to all the, a lot of good news, um, unfortunately, but um oh and one more thing and then i'll um, stop because i've been talking a lot. No, i also um, have one more thing so is the um i guess the growing um, involvement and authority kind of given to the land development agency is um uh is very interesting i would personally think it's a bit of a cause for concern because um we can get into it later but um, yeah, it's kind of maybe a bit diversionary to what actually should be done in terms of housing provision, but essentially the land development agency is, is, is kind of a more centralized um, kind of housing planning system. So there's a lot of, um, yeah, kind of debate again about their role in the current, um, in resolving the current housing crisis, because they're only set up, it was only set up in 2018. Um, and yeah, we can get into it later anyway. But So just to clarify, Jack, before we move on to Andy, because uh, the, the Land Development Authority, and you said centralisation, that's essentially um, like at a more national level deciding yeah. about planning permission and stuff as opposed to local councils. Is that what yeah. the gist of that is? Okay. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, we can get into it later. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
the other thing that I was going to say is uh, the housing budget as well um, was like I, like everything else in the budget, um, spending on housing went up on on public housing, which is going to be an interesting thing to look at for over the mm. next five years or so, because um, in the wake of, I think a lot of people don't know this, but we actually built a lot of social housing during the boom. Uh, we built more social housing in the 2000s than we did in the 1960s, but we kind of think of the 1960s as this, or kind of that mid-century period as, as a sort of um, uh, a boom period for social housing in Ireland. But then with the recession, because social housing, well, because we fund social housing the way we do in Ireland, and because, uh, which is basically um, the government decides how much it's going to spend building social housing each year mm -hmm. uh, on this kind of ad hoc basis. And if they don't spend the money, the housing doesn't get built, more or less. Um, once it came down to uh, making cuts in the wake of the last recession, social housing expenditure was the first to go because basically unlike um, something like welfare spending or, um, uh, I don't know, uh, spending on basically current expenditure, things that are, are ongoing, uh, things that people will immediately notice if you cut it. Um, obviously, if you're spending money building a house, um, people won't notice the effects of you having cut that for years down the line. Um, so in 2000, between 2008 and 2013, spending by the government on building social housing um, reduced by night between 92 and 94 percent. I, I hear different uh, versions of that statistics thrown around, uh, but basically completely plummeted uh, to the point where, so we had I think maybe five or 7,000 uh, units of social housing built in 2007. Um, uh, and to put that in perspective, that's a, like, that is basically how much was built every year in the 70s, which was the peak of social housing construction in the history of Ireland. Um, and in 2014, I think we built something like 60 or 70 units of housing uh, or completed <laughs> that many total. Um, and we had been basically ramping up back to our previous peak uh, for the five years or so since then. And so far during this pandemic, that spending has continued, although obviously construction has halted um, because of uh, social distancing. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that transpires. The other thing I wanted to say um, to, to, and this is like kind of something that I would I'd be interested in, in hearing Jack's perspective on is, um, and, and yeah, Tom's as well, obviously, but, but just because you were talking about it, Jack, um, is you were talking about like this kind of idea of uh, uh, Oscar Trainer Road was going to be this kind of mixed development with part private, part um, cost rental and part, part public housing, uh, kind of old fashioned council housing. Um, and there had been this movement to just make it all council housing. Um, and I am very ambivalent about this stuff mm. because all three of those kinds of forms of tenure work somewhere, right? Like if you go to Houston, you can pretty much get housing if you have them, or like Milwaukee or whatever, yep. you can get housing 
if you have money and the problem is like lots of people are poor in Milwaukee and Houston and so that's why like and you know that's why they have housing problems there too but um in and of itself like it works fine there and cost rental is like from for a lot of people that is like the model um that's what they use in all the Nordic countries and Austria and Denmark and all these places that we that we look up to and and it, and it works pretty well there it seems uh and then council housing obviously we have um all kinds of uh uh memories of that working very well in the past for us as well um and, and it works well in, in places like japan and that kind of thing uh but like obviously none of those things are currently deliver are currently delivering us a functioning housing system um and like the Dublin City Council built, I think, a few dozen units of council housing last year. The rest of it was all from either approved housing bodies, basically these nonprofits that the government um, contracts out to, or it was like normal private rented sector housing that we just give people um, uh, rental subsidies to be able to afford. Mm. Um, and then so so like that being the ideal, the thing that we should be spending 100% of our revenue on, like it seems to be just not something we are capable of doing right now. So I'm curious, like for you, is it like a, a matter of what well, we just basically what we need to focus on is building up our capacity to make to kind of build that kind of housing and deliver it. And like mm -hmm. that is the solution, that is the direction you kind of want to go in mm -hmm. or like is there like do you think there is like a good a good path forward for Ireland in terms of like making the private rented sector work or making cost rental work um or how you kind of weigh those things um yeah so it's a big big question um so <laughs> in terms of so a few things I think need to change in terms of I guess overall um housing provision um I guess the way that the council is funded is, is really important. It used to, um, it's gone from kind of a current expenditure, like Andy was saying, part of the budget. Um, it, well, it's gone to that from, from where it used to get kind of big capital um, lumps and could more or less with that um, big chunks of money, essentially, um, capital, and they could build a lot of socialising with that. And more or less, it just enabled, um, particularly Dublin City Council, to have a, a really great capacity to build housing. And that's slowly been kind of, chipped away at um, over the years through various um, policies and legislation um, to the point now that social housing provision um, is very low. And like Andy was saying, it's something like 70 units in 2014. And that is a reflection on the austerity cuts of the government, but it's also um, a reflection on the, the, the overall um, historical um, de decline of Dublin City Council and other city councils mm. around Ireland for the provision of social housing. So, um, I don't even think, so a part of it is, of course, enhancing city council's um, ability to provide social housing. We definitely obviously need more housing and that would be, um, I think that would, um, like there is more social housing needing. So, so I think that is part of the solution. Absolutely. Um, I think more key is um, expanding membership um, and qualification for social housing as well, like they do in other countries. Um, so not just to have social housing for the most um, economically marginalized in society, to have social housing as an option for people um, really across um, the kind of income spectrum. Um, that, the kind of Vienna model, I guess, of housing has mm -hmm. been um, proven to work really well. Um, and in Ireland, um, 
there is just a stigmatization of um, social housing because in a way it's only available to the um, lowest income earners in society. Um, so people just, I guess, went from perceiving social housing to um, as something that was kind of um, given to, well, I guess in the, in the early days anyway, to um, kind of uh, working class families, but also lower middle income um, families when they were building social housing initially in places like Marino. Um, it's now gone from that to, um, to kind of providing housing um, to just kind of housing the most um, economically marginalized. So I think expanding membership is pretty important to that. Um, in terms of the private rental sector, um, I think the key there is to, well, number one is if you build more social housing, you can move more people who are paying half payments and um, which is like half really is the kind of, um, I actually, I was trying to think what it stands for. It's housing as assistance payment, is it? Yeah. Payment, yeah. Yes. Um, but HAP really is kind of at the very kind of harsh um, or in a way kind of emblemizes what we're doing wrong with housing in Ireland at the moment and how building more social housing would would kind of stop the um, kind of malevolent effects of HAP would be that you can move more people into social housing, which economically is, is, is a good move for the state. It's a good investment as opposed to just um, what they're doing now. Um, instead of building social housing, they're kind of compensating for it by um, covering a lot of the rent of um, people who really should qualify for social housing to live in the private rental sector. And essentially then that's public money going to into the hands of private landlords. And that's why the um, rising housing prices is really, really important for um, for um, uh, the overall kind of uh, just amount in the state coffers as well, because, you know, the higher that mm. um, rents go up, the more the government is paying for these half payments. Um, whereas if there was more social housing, they wouldn't, they more or less would be more, like they'd be immune to the markets. You know, obviously social housing, it's not something that's on the market, so it doesn't rise um you know, um, its value doesn't rise with um, the market. It's 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 there for its use value, not for its asset value. Um, so, um, rental sector definitely um, plays a very important role in other cities, and I think it's it is really important because um, there's equal problems as well with um, you know um, more you know the um, actually ownership of housing is 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 a, is a huge. Um, issue in Ireland as well you know home ownership in a way is, is almost as culpable for the current uh, housing crisis as um, HAP is or as the lack of social housing is as well um, but it's kind of hitting that right balance and um, unfortunately that balance is so context dependent um, and so hard to um, kind of just come up with um, it's obviously you know no one has come up with the right one or at least if someone has it hasn't been implemented right or it hasn't been implemented at all yet um but there definitely is a role for all types of housing cost rental social private rental um even just private housing but um at the moment in ireland big steps need to be taken to to kind of drastically alter that balance definitely that was a very good journey through the the uh <laughs> the issue jack that was really well like navigated and you touched on maybe like a lot of the central things that me as someone who as i said haven't actually formally studied it at all um 
maybe the way I describe it is that I'd probably come at it from more of a um a, like I saying like I'm a, a radical socialist or something because all I've seen from it is the human side of things I haven't seen the really the policy decisions I'm not too clued in on the um geopolitical and social aspects of it that you know say in the politics geography course as Tom and Jack were doing like that you would study so I only see okay I've interacted with people on the streets who are homeless and I've interacted with people who are stuck in homeless accommodation trying to get out of there so uh, added to the fact um that I'm a computer scientist as well so I kind of view everything as being like you know systematic and neat and efficient like neatness and efficiency are paramount like the it just seems so backwards to me what is going on at the moment from someone who's looking at it kind of from an outside perspective because um you mentioned hap there jack i'm sorry to anybody who's gone this far and doesn't know what hap is hap essentially is uh if you meet certain income parameters and um if there's other factors that would make you disadvantaged in terms of um being able to seek housing uh the government will give you uh they, they will subsidize housing for you basically so they will pay part of your rent for you um and jack touched on it there uh, and as i said before like th it's just so backwards in terms of being sustainable and sensible as a model now uh, correct me if i'm wrong because as i said there's clearly more to it that i'm not seeing but uh hap is meant to solve the problem of people not being able to pay for housing so the government's saying okay we'll give people more money to pay for the higher prices which in turn is just inflating the whole system instead of like it's, it's such a band-aid solution instead of saying mm -hmm. all right let's instead of how much money have you spent on hap the amount that the government has spent on hap far surpasses like the amount that you could use to create you would think a more sustainable um proportion of social housing units or basically meeting the problem where it's at at the root cause and you know creating public housing that you're not um beholden to private um investors who are looking to make a profit off people you're not beholden to um necessarily increases in um rent in the same way that you would when you're at the mercy of people who have who are own it like land private landlords um and it just seems completely backwards and i don't know i'm curious tom you would have the same sort of experience i'm sure of hearing about hap through the the homelessness side of things and i know you mentioned that you had an idea of like some different housing models from other places like do they have a hap equivalent is there like a like what's <laughs> why am i wrong basically what, what am i not seeing here that we should change it completely to <laughs> an uber libertarian like don't have any sort of private interest in it um well i don't know just from my um again not specialized knowledge at all but just from like looking through kind of the um just when i'm in work kind of looking through the requirements for half a really funny thing that's uh, that that always comes up is that a landlord has to on their end must agree to rent out their property to a half tenant first and there's so many kind of I guess nuances to that, especially surrounding the likes of people experiencing homelessness and the prejudices that people can have towards them. Um, and you can first look at the fact that higher quality houses, these these landlords will generally, if you want to put yourselves in their mind, they're going to think, I want to get big money for this. So I'm going to be trying to put this up for a higher price. And I don't want somebody who's homeless and um, insert any stereotypes you want there living in my property. And if you want to look at these like landlords who have generally, you know, 
portfolios of houses and um, do you want to talk like the financialization of housing they you know you generally get one try to flip it get it get a good money for it maybe sell it off and get like two then and you know keep building it up they'll generally be putting their lower quality housing out to half tenants you know and um when you kind of look at the knock-on effects of this it generally doesn't help the individual itself and um, these cheaper houses and um, um i don't know how like these cheaper houses generally have the knock-on effect of you know you might be further from the city center say this means this person's life is going to be this much more difficult because they now have to spend so much more money on public transport or hey they might have to then invest in getting a car just so they can travel to get you know work in whatever field they specialize in and um, or if you want to even if you want to even consider it outside of um outside of say like homelessness you can see that there'd be you know maybe a a couple who are start, who's starting a family who are on the hop scheme they get this house and now they have now they have now they have they don't have the choice now because they're you know being supported by the hop scheme they just have to take what they're given and now they're, they're finding difficulties you know finding a close school that they're able to send their children to and um, there's so many different kind of intricacies on like a smaller kind of individual level that are never really never never really addressed um by policymakers um it's very rare that you see kind of the social side being being brought into it a lot of it's kind of thought of as you know the economics of trying to save money uh, trying to save money and um, there's I'm, I'm trying to think of the statistics off the top of my head and um, i'm doing a project right now but uh, i think it was somewhere between like uh, somewhere between 30 and 50 percent of people who go to go to they're called housing hubs in homeless services and um, end up re-entering the, the homeless services after they've got put back into their housing. And this is because of, you know, lack of supports mostly. Um, and this is kind of what I was talking about to start where you kind of want to look at these things like a, from a holistic kind of perspective, perspective. Like if you're, you have to think of the consequences of say, putting a, putting a mother and their child in like a, an apartment that sure is said to the fit out of the fifties and sure they have their own property they're now renting and they're they're living their life but what's the what's the knock-on effect of them not being able to get a property that's close to say the grandparents close to their families not being able to you know not being able to access a green space um um regularly like um um what you were saying just there kind of like asking about alternatives i guess kind of the 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 kind of gold standard that people always point to is the housing first model, which has seen success in well relative success in parts of America, big success in Finland, and um, works mostly with kind of people who are rough sleepers. And um, it's brought their rough sleeper rate um, down to I think I think it either low thousands or even in the hundreds, and it's brought made them be the only European country that has like a a homeless rate that's going into on the decline which is brilliant and you know general principle behind that is the priority is getting people into houses and then they're going to provide the supports there and this isn't something that ireland does very well we have a housing first model that is trying to be put that that you know is trying to be a priority and um, i think peter mcvary the peter mcvary trust are the people who are kind of leading the charge with that but um again it's kind of that holistic approach we're not able to we're not able to take that model and really apply it as effectively as we can see in Finland until we 
look at the other factors until we recognize that there's flaws in our mental health system. And without that, we're not we're not we're not going to be able to provide people with a house that they're going to be able to keep and sustain and you know start a family in because they're just going to be part of that figure of the 30 to 50 percent of people that are going back into these services. And you know, there's not going to fix it out as well. There's a massive institute institutionalization rate of the homeless in Ireland just because I think we put about 200 million, I think uh, could, that could be really wrong, um, in 2019 into emergency accommodation, um, and that kind of tell that kind of speaks a lot, um, <laughs> that speaks a lot to kind of how our government views it. Um, it's easier to uh, pay for these people to be put into these cramped accommodations, you know, to be living in a room with three other men, than to put the money into the mental health, the addiction services, to domestic abuse centres, all of these other things that aren't even brought into the conversation just because, I don't know, saving money, maybe. Yeah, and you kind of hit the nail on the head there, Tom, with like how broad an issue housing is and how many things it affects, because like <laughs> we've already encompassed quite a range of forms that um, the inefficiencies in our housing model takes. And it just has lots of ripple effects. And um, you mentioned there, Tom, as well, uh, and at the very start about the the fact that the right to housing isn't even in our constitution and that is something that um i believe is coming to a referendum or is planned to come to a referendum at some point this year um which it's sad that it almost like it's sad that this has to be uh like praised but thankfully it's happening um because if there's anything as you said tom that like exemplifies the the lack of a holistic approach it is that that you kind of have to prove we've kind of backed ourselves into a corner with the decisions that we've made policy-wise that we now have to kind of win back more power in terms of housing from the, the private investment kind of um beast that has come in and has sort of uh taken over things i would i actually do want to take a second to defend the honor of hap-like schemes um uh, and this will, it'll eventually tie into the, the right to housing stuff. But um, one, like, I think HAP, HAP has, a, like, problems in, with just how it's designed, right? Like, um, things like it's just, for, for one thing, not big enough. Um, not enough people are eligible for it if you're working or whatever. Um, uh, you know, landlords can turn you down if you have HAP and it, it doesn't necessarily count as this like legal discrimination the way other things would. Um, but um, I think the idea of, okay, we're in a housing crisis. Um, fundamentally, the problem is there's not enough housing. And so things are, are way too expensive for people. Rents have gone up by, I think about 87% since uh, 2012. Um, you were saying like the the problem with just giving people money to pay for that housing is that it um it, it, that itself feeds into a landlord will say okay you know i have um i'm getting this this uh this hot money this person uh you know i know they're, they're the government is going to like sort them out if i raise the rent so i'm just going to do that um but they're basically only going to do that so much and uh the people who that's really going to affect are the people who don't qualify for HAP um, because obviously the people with HAP have HAP. Um, so uh, basically what happens there is that everyone who needs HAP 
is getting it and so they're kind of okay the people who are facing the inflated rents um don't need help and so they're probably uh they can probably take the hit to some extent in an emergency for a little while right um because the alternative is that you just have those people be homeless right uh if you're not giving people money to uh, to uh buy the housing or to, to live in the housing that's available um, and they don't have enough money to buy housing otherwise, they're just going to not have housing. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, it, I think it works as a stopgap until you um, until you build more housing. And then once you have built the housing, um, like rental subsidies, which is I think the like broader term for the thing which HAP is an example of. Uh, rent supplement was another example of it. Um, rental, uh, was it residential assistance uh, RAS, supplement yeah. or something like that? Yeah, something uh, RAS, anyway, it was called, was, was another example of it um, that doesn't really exist anymore. But um, those kinds of things, uh, if you are someone who can only pay like say 200 euro a month or 500 euro a month for housing um but fundamentally just because it costs a lot of money to build a house there's no way you can get rents below 800 euro um a month then the way to do social housing to my mind is to basically have a robust housing supply whether that be from um the local authority or from a housing association or from the private sector, you have housing coming from all of those. And then just the government fills the gap between um, uh, what the, the housing costs to rent out um, and what the, the person can actually afford. And then you have solved the sustainability problem as well, right? That, that cost rental is supposed to solve where the problem with the current method is basically when the government has money, they spend it and when they don't, they don't. Um, and, and, and because it's capital spending, it's easy to cut. But if you make that current ex expenditure, it's harder to cut. Um, and so when the, when like the purse strings are tight, the government is still in a position where they have to basically give people this money to pay for the housing that is plentifully available in a functioning housing system. Um, uh, and so you, you basically have the situation where even in recessions, you don't get these massive spikes in, um, in homelessness. Um, and, and also you're not spending that much money on it as well, right? Because um, the housing system is robust enough to, to um, actually uh, facilitate, you know, you only spending a little bit of money on that because there's this competition in the market. Um, and that, that to me is like the, that is the, that is the answer to the question, then what, after we talk about securing a right for housing, right? You say, okay, right, it's in the constitution. We had this long campaign. We had this referendum. We have agreed that housing is a right for everyone. Like then what? And like the answer is you actually have to provide people with the housing. And like, to me, um, uh, and, and you know, you're kind of left with, with, with where you are. Uh, with where we are right now. Um, so to me, that kind of seems like uh, the like practical side of the like policy split. Now, obviously, that just raises further questions of like, how do you secure a functioning housing system? Um, but insofar as we're kind of trying to figure out what our goal is here, um, 
there is a, a surprising amount of disagreement over that, I think, within yeah. even in, within academic discourse. And mm -hmm. like, I think probably some of the stuff I said there is going to be controversial with a lot of people. Oh, but like, I think if like that to me is the thing I would advocate moving towards. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. however we do that, you know. And I think really like while I was listening to you and like I was disagreeing with a good chunk of it, but then I was like, look, this is this is a fundamental as well. Um, divide on well there's two important points there it's a fundamental divide on how you view economics and also just the view of the state in general in mm. in, in in the housing market mm. um but then it is also like you said hap is there for a reason like it's a, it is a very practical solution and it is a stopgap um and it has like functioned in the sense that you know if there wasn't hap you know we'd be we'd have thousands like tens of thousands of homeless people obviously so it does but it is just um it is just the fact that I think um, like the Rebuilding Ireland's plan, like um, kind of their whole idea of, of, of housing provision, the state housing provision, like 85% of that between 2016 and 2021 was envisioned to be half. So it's not, it is just, um, I, I know you're saying the kind of, um, it is a stopgap, but I guess my frustration is more like how slowly they're moving mm -hmm, mm -hmm. from this stopgap when, you know, our economy has been quite robust. Obviously, it's taken a hit with COVID, but it's been quite robust really since 2016. And, you know, I just maybe would have liked a more um, dramatic shift um, away from that. But obviously, there's just so much logistical on the ground, which is like, you know, all three of you would know way more about this than I would. Um, logistical nightmares in terms of taking people off HAP, um, relocating them to social housing, and then above anything else, actually building social housing, finding places to build social housing, getting counsellors to agree in it. There's so much um, bloody red tape with it. Um, it is, it's, it's easy to say theoretically, but of course the, the, the practical aspect of it is completely other matter. Um, and I think like one final thing on, on what you said, I'm very cautious as well not to turn this into a debate because <laughs> this is, you know, this is a podcast about housing. Um, and like, as you, you, you listeners out there are probably very aware, there's no, you're never going to listen to a housing podcast where everybody on it is going to be like, yeah like you know yeah, <laughs> going, yeah, yeah that's right yeah like Come on, literally i think it was a dublin inquirer podcast i was listening to um and just like it was something like it was it was a bunch of counselors in dublin city architect and stuff and like 40 minutes into it it was just a ruckus like if you're looking <laughs> if you're looking for any passion in any area of of, of the generally sterile irish political environment housing is where it is for that reason like it's yeah. it's it's just so contended and it's so central um, to our politics. Um, but on one thing you said anyway, but the fill in the gaps kind of role of the government, like, um, you know, in terms of housing um, and that like kind of creating a robust housing market and letting that provide the housing. Um, I, it really does come back to, I guess, housing as even just the idea of housing as something that is um, an asset. Um, and that, um, you know, instead of looking at it for its use value, which is essentially living in it, um, just kind of accepting that housing is something that is there for its exchange value. Something housing is something that you can make a profit off, which is a very fundamental. Um, that's a, just an economic uh, question. Like, you know, um, you can get very um, left wing in it and be like housing shouldn't be allowed to be 
and trade at all because it is something we take for granted that housing at all is viewed as an asset because it wasn't always like that um yeah. you know for the majority of human history shelter and housing was something that was you know um it's use value but of course look you know you'd have to do a complete reverse of of of, of capitalist progression really to get back <laughs> well, to no, actually so so i think you this is a bit where you know there's a lot of um like I mean, yeah, to, to what you're saying, like, I think there is often like a lot of, uh, uh, like, stuff that gets lost in translation between different perspectives on this issue, uh, where kind of like, if, like, if we all just like got along and like had a conversation, like, there, I think that there's a lot of room to move toward consensus in this, uh, where mm -hmm. the, the, the disagreements are kind of smaller than they seem. And I think this like asset uh, commodity distinction or asset um, home or whatever like kind of division you want to make there uh, is like a really prime example of this where like economists like hate the uh, like actually so here is here is like a like a bit of like kind of like illuminating trivia is that like the word rent as in like the rent you pay comes from the term economic rent uh, which is a term from economics describing basically excess profits that exist as a result of market dysfunction, right? So um, in like in an idea and the, 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 the kind of reason why it gets used in these two different contexts is that like historically rents were um, most commonly associated with land because land was a thing that wasn't subject to market forces in the same way because there is to some extent a scarce uh, supply of it. Now there's not actually a scarce supply of it um, that you can you can make more land, but that's I might get into that in a second. But the the broader point is that this economists go um, a lot of the time with with their kind of policy advice is to try and basically um, uh, make the market well enough. Uh, or function well enough as a market that those rent like rents disappear um so the the idea is that um uh if you had if you had a functioning housing market housing wouldn't work as an asset because the thing that makes housing work as an asset is the fact that it sits upon on top of this land which uh goes up and down in value um according to how scarce it is um but if you just build enough housing, the theory goes at least, and I would agree with this, um, and how, then uh, you actually don't have a scarcity of land, right? You are, build, you are using the land to its full potential. Um, and so uh, everyone has access to this thing. And so it's kind of, it's valueless um, in, that, in that sense, in the, uh, in, the, um, in the sense of being something scarce that you have to compete for on a market. Um, and the only costs that remain are um, uh, like the, the actual cost of building the house, the bricks and the mortar. Um, and so in theory, um, like you can move towards this like purely like use value thing uh, entirely within the realm of economics. Um, and like, I think people, the, the reason why this gets confused, I think a lot of the time is that um, developers and landowners are a very conflated 
are two categories of people that get conflated in Irish discourse because uh, basically as, as a legacy of the boom uh, where you had these developers who were building up large stocks of land um, and, and basically getting up to, to, to a lot of funny business um, uh, to kind of deliberately inflate the prices of those land that land uh, through various yeah kind of bits of chicanery um, and so the fact that they kind of owned land as developers uh, which they would then build housing on and sell at this this kind of massively inflated premium but in theory but one way of kind of confusing that of kind of um, muddying the waters there is to say well actually anyone who owns a house is a landowner right 70 percent of Irish people are landowners, um, uh, and and they are like their interest as landowners is very different to a developer's interest as a developer, distinct from a homeowner. Uh, even though both those things, the both those categories of people own land. So a developer, as a developer, what they want to do is build housing, right? Um, and they have land already, and that makes like that gives them a certain amount of a certain interest. Um, but the easier it is for them to build housing, the better for them. Um, and like that aspect of their social role is very good <laughs> because we, we want housing to be built. Um, so I think like uh, the, the like conflict in the system is not between like developers and um, like residents, the way this kind of asset use distinction kind of sets it up it's actually between i would say builders and landowners uh which might include developers but not necessarily and much more includes uh basically normal voters who don't want social housing or any housing built near them and you get into this whole not in my backyard debate oh uh, but just the general point there being that um uh I think you can have a um, a kind of humanitarian view of housing, which is completely compatible at every step with a view that like a market should function well. The thing to really understand, though, I think about the housing system right now is that whatever you think the correct approach should be, um, and there are a lot of disagreements on this, the government is taking none of those approaches and hasn't been for the last five years, right? Like whatever you think should be done, whether you think it should be like, we should be reducing regulations to make it cheaper to build. And like, you have this kind of construction costs view of like the market failure here, or if you think it's uh, we need to be building up the capacity of local authorities to, um, to, to build their own housing, uh, at, you know, at non-market rates. Or if you think like, the, this is, I think kind of the view the implicit view a lot of the time of the like far left um like take back the city people is that like what we should kind of do is just completely buy out the private rented sector and just turn all of that into public housing like that would also work uh it would be incredibly expensive but it would work and the government is just not doing any of those things right um and and there have been i think there has just never been um a, like a, a government which has really committed to actually trying to solve the problem in the last five years that this crisis has existed. Uh, if you look at 
Dara O'Brien, our man, has uh, just today, I think, released this, uh, like a new affordable housing bill. And it's a help to buy scheme, right? It's basically the, the implicit, well, okay, so what it actually is, is it's, it's a way of making it easier for people to buy housing and get mortgages. Um, and that's just like the implicit, like, theory of the case there is that like the problem with the Irish housing sector, the Irish housing system, is that it's too hard for middle class people to take on debt to become property owners. Like that is the problem with the Irish housing system right now. Not like homelessness, not like that, that we're like renters are paying um, these like inordinate uh, rates that don't exist anywhere else in the developed world, right? Apart from San Francisco and New York and San Francisco and New York, we ain't. Um, that like, the problem is that like, it's just too hard to become a mortgage holder. And that's, you know, it's just not close to what anyone is saying a solution to the problem would be right now. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think it is kind of important to get that out there as well. Um, if nothing else, to know what we're up against, if we actually are trying to make progress on housing, you know? Yeah. And um, the, what you were talking about, Andy, with kind of the, um, just, I guess, need, you know, if, if you had enough housing for everybody, that would, um, that would just kind of like defeat the whole asset value of housing. Like you wouldn't, everything would be um, in housing would be viewed as its use value because, you know, you'd be like, Hey, do you want my house? You'd be like, Oh, I have one. Do you want my house? And then so on. No, you know, nobody wouldn't have one, um, I guess. But one big thing is obviously the role of, um, of IFIs, um, which is kind of my, um, I guess my, my um, interest um, above anything in housing and, which is again, I really, I'm conscious of the listener here because you know they, I don't want to go on about IFIs and second financialization and all these big, um, you know, fancy terms. But essentially, what it is, if you ever hear like, you know, your your vulture funds and like some someone angrily talking about vulture funds, like, um, and then you kind of in your head just like imagining these like really u- ugly, um, but bear in mind also vultures are endangered um so like on an animal <laughs> level we, we vultures get such a hard different time podcast, actually, different podcast <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah important role in the ecosystem but this is important <laughs> as well because vultures play an important role in the ecosystem vulture funds don't they really don't um and uh again they do um like you know what they essentially did in the in the aftermath of um, the recession was um, kind of at the behest of the Irish government and again like the the common theme if there is one aside of housing and throughout this podcast is just like how there are obviously solutions but the government isn't really taking them another big mistake that the government made was selling off a lot of um, you know um, land at a really heavily discounted price to these vulture funds and other institutional investors and they all have cuckoo funds and all these um, kind of buzzword names but essentially they, they serve a similar purpose in that they, get, they got very heavily discounted land. They kind of sat on that land then for a few years, quite a lot of them. Um, like you'll recognize some of the names of them, like um, Kennedy Wilson would be the, the biggest hmm. landowner. I think it is the biggest land owner in Ireland or landlord in Ireland, um, which is pretty crazy, probably apart from the state, um, private landlord in Ireland. Um, and more or less what, um, like what kind of, um, like Andy alluded to about um, 
there's all these different ways that kind of landowners as opposed to developers and that's a really important distinction to make kind of uh can um perpetuate this crisis in one of them is kind of land hoarding um so just um buying up all this really cheap land which they did in kind of 2008 to well really after the set, setting up of, of nama um in 2009 um and they sat on this land then until you know the price of land went up um in ireland as the economy recovered um and then when eventually housing was developed on it the land prices really had gone up and housing prices had gone up so much that yes we ended up building a lot more housing but it was way more expensive um it was incredibly expensive and it was it was to the benefit of these um ifis institutional investors who um by the way like they're there are like english american um you'll know their names just from around like to say kenny wilson there's um black rock is another one yeah black rock which you know again uh, is very ironic i guess you know um, <laughs> <laughs> another big um you know where it's like private and landowner um attributable to another black rock but yeah um these guys are huge international players that have come into ireland have played a huge role in 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 the um, you know, building very overpriced um, housing around the city, um, all these new kind of glitzy developments. Um, and essentially, um, a lot of people are angry about that because, you know, they're kind of providing a lot of what we don't need. Um, we need a lot more affordable housing. They're providing a lot of very expensive, um, very um housing that's very overpriced and only accessible to really the kind of the upper tier of um, the kind of income um, spectrum in Ireland. But um, yeah, I don't really want to go into too much, but if any of you have any thoughts on, on their role, I guess, and how to highlight it in, in, in the current housing crisis. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like one, one it, it's tricky, right? Because it's like, I think this one thing this gets into that I think maybe this is a bit tangential, but I think just one thing to touch on is um, this issue of gentrification, right? Because I think that is what these kind of companies are, are, are apart from the vulture fund stuff of the early stuff that was happening 10 years ago about them buying up state land for cheap. The thing that, that they are now doing with it, it seems to a lot of people, I think, is um, building this kind of like luxury um, apartments or hotels or whatever. Um, on land that is right next to low-income tenants pushing up the price of that of the low-income tenants land mm. and thus like pushing up their rents and making it harder to live in places like stony batter or um uh where else is like the gentrification frontier fibsborough as well Fibsborough, yeah, yeah, that, yeah that kind of area um and this is like this is another thing where it's like the the developer landowner like economist like social policy geographer perspective like distinction um it like is is so tricky um in that uh especially there's there's been this kind of idea of like a yimbyist movement uh to combat the nimbyist movement right where nimby is not in my backyard and yimby is yes in my backyard and that kind of <laughs> often that makes the yimbys 
sound like kind of pro gentrification right they're saying like oh well there's housing being built that's great that's like adding to the supply in the market that's going to push down prices and like you know it seems absurd because these are these are like luxury high-rise developments or whatever these are not this is not like the housing we need um it, it seems i think to a lot of people and like the thing i guess there are like two things i would generally say to that uh one of them is that actually like th that is definitely going to be the most controversial thing i say in this podcast but brace um, yourselves <laughs> yeah, um like we actually do need this is I, this is similar to the point i guess i was making before i was saying like if if there just was enough housing we wouldn't have to worry about like this you know asset price stuff as much uh and the speculation stuff and similarly, if there was enough housing, we wouldn't have to worry about, oh, these people are building hotels or these people are building Airbnbs or these people are building um, even like co-living or um, uh, like luxury apartments or whatever, right? Because um, they, we wouldn't be trapped in this scarcity mindset of thinking it has to be one or the other, right? Mm -hmm. And hotels are good, right? And like, it's good for, um, for people to be able to come here and be tourists, right? Uh, and like, if, if they weren't competing with jobs, we wouldn't mind them as much. Um, and so like, I, I, I guess I'm a little bit more um, uh, like optimistic or sanguine about those kinds of developments because um, they are, I, don't, I don't necessarily view them as being necessarily in competition with, with other kinds of housing that those same companies might be building, right? Um, uh, if, there was, if, if it was easier to build. Uh, housing in Ireland. The other thing is that the reason gentrification happens in poor neighborhoods um, is because uh, those are the neighborhoods that have the least power to stop housing from being built where they live, right? And so if you go, there, there are no luxury apartment de like developments in Malahide right now or in Port Marnock or wherever, right? Because those are the neighborhoods where there are kind of well-organized middle-class people um, who are very um, capable and determined to prevent um, those kinds of things from being built. And so they end up getting crowded into um, these kinds of uh, less, um, less well-off, less powerful um, areas of the city. Um, and so like, this is where I think we kind of, something, something like a land development agency or just like a unified local government to, to preside over Dublin to say, actually like, we need to make a conscious decision about where these kinds of things are going to be built if we're going to build them, um, because otherwise it's just going to get, you know, it's just going to get crowded into, um, uh, you know, these these low income neighborhoods and and the people who are building the housing, um, these institutions which have the potential to be a force for good in the economy are just going to be these forces of like destruction and um and and like rent inflation um uh like in the city as it's currently organized um so yeah i think like this is it's just like another instance where as like these are like secondary problems that i think of as as, as emerging when you're not dealing with the fundamental problem of supply yeah it's it's kind of i don't know i find i find it um it's it funny a lot of it like a lot of what you bring back I definitely wouldn't be like as educated as you guys on the topic like you're bringing back to these vulture funds like coming in and taking all of these stuff i think you brought up earlier jack the viennese model 
Um, I've, we've been studying that in college recently, so that's why I'm bringing it up as well. But it it's funny to note that they have, I think, well, the statistic we were given in college anyway is that two thirds of their rented sector are owned by the council, are owned or by other nonprofit organizations outside of that. And it's similar to like, you can also see it in other places like the Dutch like rental sector, um, which takes up about 30% of their market in general. Um, is like, it works on, um, I, think it's, I think it's called a revolving principle. I'm not 100% sure, but general idea is just that the income that the like housing associations receive from, you know, like selling their houses or like letting them out or whatever is just going to cover, you know, the costs of the people in that organization who are like running it and cover the investments into new, like new housing or housing refurbishment or, you know, neighborhood regeneration. Um, these, these were all kind of established a lot, like a lot, lot like years and years ago um, in the Dutch, um, I think in the Dutch example, I think they were set up in between 1950s and 1960s. Could be wrong, but they only became fully autonomous outside of the government um, around like the 1990s. Um, I won't give you a specific date because I can't remember off the top of my head. But um, it's it's just funny to see how they kind of developed separately outside of like in different countries. Um, obviously, that kind of period where these kind of systems became more prevalent. Um, in Ireland, we had our own kind of uh, troubles during that time <laughs> that we were kind of dealing with. There was a lot of distractions. And also, uh, obviously, there was like a lot of social housing built around that time that was kind of, uh, well, can be seen a lot. A lot of people would see it as almost kind of appeasement to the people, keep them quiet, and we'll deal with the rest kind of um, later. It's, um, I, I know this, this is a really funny one. Um, it's kind of funny. Well, I find it funny. And um, Jack kind of mentioned, mentioned earlier how <laughs> these kind of things always turn into an argument. But I know when you talk about NIMBYism, the first thing that pops into my head is the David McWilliams podcast. He talks a lot right now about vacancy in Ireland and how there's this, you know, everybody has their attachment to land ownership. And he gives this big um, historical reason. I'm not sure how much I buy into it, but I remember once bringing this up with my, <laughs> bringing this up with my geography professor who, you know, has a PhD in housing studies. And you'd swear, I just, you swear, I just was, you know, reeling off the gospel of Owen Murphy to him. <laughs> he, yeah. he, he, went, he went off on me. He, um, <laughs> He, he was he was very much going yeah he, it's very well and easy for him to talk about how we need to we need to get more involved with these vacant properties all around Cork City but he has no idea of like the social policy implications of this and how we're not able to deal with that because of all these problems and, you know it just brings back to that idea of you know there's so many different voices in this argument and it's very easy for the economist to say one thing and then the geographer to come back and say no and then you know the architect to say that's not feasible but you know there's I don't know. There, I don't think there's one model that fits all. You know, like you, like you were saying yourself, Andy. There's there 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 should be a system where these different these different things can support each other because there is there is room for this. Um, like in social housing, I think the general policy, the general kind of idea is that when you're building these kind of social housing, there should be kind of a they should reflect kind of like the social, environmental, and kind of economic build up of that area you know there should be kind of uh there, there should be a community voice behind it that's able to dictate what's happening and i think there's a lot of there's a lack of political will almost in an irish government to provide that and um, there's a lot of kind of like a i guess like a neoliberal kind of view to it where we can leave this to the market we can leave this to outside sources so then if something goes wrong with it we're not we don't have to take 
um, we don't have to take as much. Yeah, we don't have to take the brunt of it, um, which, you know, blowing up in their face right now. Um, I don't know. There's Yeah, I don't know. The, that's kind of my two fence. <laughs> yeah, in fairness, it is uh, probably one of the most difficult things to try and analyze. Uh, like, I feel like I, I've learned so much from this and yet, I mean, we haven't <laughs> probably dipped a toe in the, the ocean that is the issue of hazing. Um, I suppose just uh, to finish up, like, uh, I want to go around and just ask each of you one by one, like, in, in general, because um, as you said before, it's very tough to point to a specific thing. But say if people were looking to um see it's it's tricky because it's not like uh, a practical volunteering thing where you know if you want to try and help people who are homeless you go and volunteer with a super or something it's it, it, there's no analog for that necessarily in housing but if people did feel very strongly about this and they did want to you know inform themselves find out more like do more stuff like what is the doing in terms of housing and if someone wanted to get involved and take an active role um obviously you know just informing yourself is a, a good start but like what would your guys take on that beer what would you recommend people going away from this to try and satisfy that or to try and get involved in that i suppose andy will start with you yeah um i mean the the kind of obvious stuff is is just the narrow volunteering stuff right that that you guys would have been talking about last year uh, last week with or not last week but in in the last episode um with Superons or um or working in a hot or volunteering in a hostel or whatever. Um one step up from that, I think more proximate to housing specifically is I guess um CATU, the community actions tenant union, community action tenants union, um is set up around Dublin. That is a uh, a membership-based union. Uh you pay, I think, uh, you pay basically, I think, whatever you can afford um each month. And um they are basically working to try and build political power for tenants um, in Ireland in general. So that is basically um, part of what they will do is that they will try and, and um, organize to, to prevent evictions when they happen. We didn't talk about it, but evictions, um, well, I'll talk about that in a second, but, but they, they'll basically organize um, to, to address individual cases. They were a big part of what Jack was talking about earlier, the opposition to the Oscar Trainer Road development. I think they're about to launch a campaign um, to kind of keep a national rent cap as well. Um, so they're a place where you can kind of be directly involved in activism. The thing I would actually say, um, and this is a real, this is a real change of heart I've had literally in the last few weeks. Um, but I have really come to believe that one of the most important things you can do on this issue in a way that distinguishes it from a lot of other issues is to actually just learn about it and become someone who can engage in an informed conversation about the issue because there's a lot of like half informed hot takes flying around on this oh mm. uh, and like on <laughs> not here of course <laughs> no no no, no. Yeah, no fully here, fully right? qualified yeah. Yeah. i know this has been great but um uh but but yeah like for for any given position 
that has been expressed in this conversation, there is a dumb version of it that has been expressed by someone else. Uh, mm. And often these people are in like working in county councils or working in government um, yeah. or, or in academic departments of universities for that matter. Um, and, and like, I think getting the confidence to be able to talk about it uh, and to be able to say, well, actually, no, I, I don't agree with that um, is I think really useful. And I will recommend um, some sources um, accordingly. Uh, so I think learning about um, the kind of local authority council housing side of this, there was a report that I have right in front of me here actually, but that you can find online uh, done by Aideen Hayden and Michelle Norris a few years ago called The Future of Council Housing. That's a great overview of the challenges there and the opportunities. If you want a more market-based kind of approach, Ronan Lyons' blog uh, that you can find on his website going back a few years is a great resource and his rental reports for daft.ie are also very good. Um, actually, the biggest thing I would recommend um, and the easiest thing to access actually is a bit tangential and it's um, a, a short series that a YouTube channel called Life Where I'm From made a few years ago. It's based, the channel is basically this guy who lives in Japan who makes short videos about what it's like to live in Japan. But he did a five part series on homelessness in Japan. And it is, it is was shocking to me. I had kind of known about it, like been interested in housing for a while when I saw this. Um, but I had no idea how good it could be. Um, that Japan is just is just an absolute role model in every possible way on this issue <laughs> in terms of um, how much like private housing they build, how much public housing they build, how they fund it, how they do their kind of zoning regulations, all this kind of thing. Um, and, and it gives you a sense of the possibilities. Japan is a country whose population has been shrinking in recent years, but Tokyo has been growing and prices have been staying the same because um, they're just not good at responding to demand there. Um, so I think like that is a real, it was a real mind opening thing. Um, one last thing I will say, um, because I just love a good rant, is, is to <laughs> talk about um, just kind of how important this issue is and really try and give, give a sense of that. You guys uh, on the last episode were talking, I think, mostly about rough sleepers um, in Dublin with uh, that you were um, kind of how you can kind of respect them and um, and uh, uh, kind of interact with them better on a day to day basis. Um, there are about a hundred, between kind of 50 and 200 rough sleepers in Dublin at any given time as of about a year ago. I don't know what it is now. Um, they represent about mm, 1%, 1.5% of all of the homeless people. Um, everyone else is, is, is in hostels or hotels or family homes. Um, uh, and there are about 8,000 of those, um, 2,000 single adults roughly and 1,000 families. Uh, so 3,000 households um, homeless. There are 70,000 households on the social housing waiting list. Um, those are people in the private sector who need has uh, who need social housing um and the private rental sector represents about 20 percent of housing in ireland so that gives a sense of the scale of the problem and uh i would also oh, another recommendation um is evicted on this issue um is a great is a 
phenomenal book. Maybe my maybe my favorite book of any kind um, uh, by Matthew Desmond um, is a phenomenal insight into what it is like to not be homeless, but to be poor and not be able to afford housing um, is a great insight on, on how severe a problem that is. The other side of this is that housing does not just, as a problem, does not just affect the people who can't afford housing. It is actually an existential threat to our country, right? Because right now, Ireland is the leading export, the world's leading exporter of college-educated native English speakers because people who are, are coming out of college and feel like they have a bright future ahead of them see that bright future in other countries because those are the countries where they can afford to live right out of college. Mm -hmm. And so they're not staying in Ireland and contributing to the development of our country and like making our society the place it could be. And as a, as, as a country that is, has a very precarious place in the global economy, where we are relying very heavily on our status as like kind of a corporate tax haven or as a place where like pharmaceuticals uh, companies can um, uh, uh, locate. Um, we're in a position where two or three, three things can go wrong for us and we are no longer a successful developed country. And whether or not like we can survive that kind of a shock to our system will depend on how um, successful our society is at producing um, kind of motivated, intelligent, passionate people who want to try and make our society better. And if we can't, if they can't live here, then they can't be here and make our country survive. So I, I, I really think there is a strong case for, for really placing this at the center of how you think about society and the kind of problems that exist in it. Absolutely. That an amazing summary, Andy, that's going to be <laughs> tough to follow up. But uh, Jack, do you have any closing thoughts before we finish up? I do. I'm gonna, before I get into my closing thoughts, I just want to say for um, Andy, uh, another bit of recommended reading. Um, sorry, for everyone. Um, it was actually written by Andy on his, on his bad blog. And I just saw it on Facebook the other day um, because, because it really hit the nail on the head in terms of if you're somebody that is getting informed on social issues and um, if you feel like you you want to do something and you don't really know how to um that whole little crisis in your head is very well elaborated in that that it was really really well written um so that and that's not just um that's not flattery ladies and gentlemen that's it's a genuine one you should just read because it's very good for anybody who is a little confused about um, maybe had to take action on housing or even had to deal with their own um, approach to it on a day-to-day -day basis um, whether this is like you should never think of housing as something that is um, an issue that you can't do anything about um, and there are lots of ways to 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 affect it um, so yeah I, I also agree that getting informed is just the best is is the best thing that people could do um, I really knew so little about housing up until I'd say the last year um, and the combination of getting informed and then kind of doing more ground level work with, um, with, you know, homeless people and with kind of street out outreach um, works give you a, a really kind of 360 degree view of housing, um, which will make you not only a more informed citizen, but um, you know, if you do that, you're having such a ripple effect 
in terms of other people becoming informed, people around you becoming more informed about housing. Um, and also housing is just something that the more you read about it, the less, sorry, the more you read about it, the more difficult it is to not do something um, because it is just one of those things that is so visible um, on a day-to-day -day basis, even where I'm um, living with a few friends, we're renting a place um, just on the on like near the canal um and it's definitely one of the most unequal um places in dublin like like i you know if you want to go anywhere to kind of see the housing crisis embodied it's it's where i am so it's just it's over um leeson street bridge and a bit kind of away and we're beside um this like coffee shop 3fe which is like a real kind of like mm. you know corporate trendy place to get your your kind of coffee so it's a funny contrast because um all along that stretch of the canal between um between Leeson Street Bridge and then between and Bagot Street Bridge you've um actually a, a bit of a tent city growing up at the moment there's like 11 tents on that stretch um and um uh, Isabel who I live with um she was talking to one of the guys um who was homeless there and he he was just really like like you know it, like all, all of you guys know from from working with people who are homeless these are are not um like people who are like addicted to drugs um they're not people who have really taken like drastically wrong choices in their life um it really it, it, this was just a guy who had like ended up getting into financial difficulty and he was homeless and he was just kind of like oh i'll work my way out of it and you know, there was comfort in that because I was like, that's such a great approach to take, you know, you work your way out of it. But there is also this kind of normalization of it now, um, like walking down the canal, um, seeing all those tents, that's being normalized and it's not normal and it's really should never feel like it's normal. Um, and I just do think that um, this is why um, it's so important as well that you know, you did the podcast on homelessness as well before this, is that homelessness is the tip of the iceberg of housing. Like housing is the big, ugly, um, icy, um, cold structure underneath that is um, underneath the water that is much less visible. But that's, you know, the, the visible consequence of this neglect um, by the Irish government, really, um, in terms of housing, is homeless people. Um, so getting informed makes you more well acquainted with that big cold ugly iceberg under the water um and i think once you get a better sense of that you can better um you can become a better volunteer as well working with homeless people as well because you know they're not just these homeless people who appear from the ether like there's mm. structural um issues um in economics and in politics um that have produced these um um have, have has produced people um who essentially um you know don't have the most basic um right um and yeah so getting informed is 100 percent the most interesting um thing and it is um just finally it is uh like an issue for everybody um like we've touched on um like like Andy was saying, there's so many people leaving Ireland um, and young people leaving Ireland at the moment because they can't afford a house. Housing is is um, an issue across society. Um, you know, it's kind of uh, almost accepted in the normal day-to-day -day conversation. Um, 
a lot of people who um, you know don't have the privilege for one to do a political science degree obviously to have the time to look into these things as well so it, I realize it can be hard for someone doing a degree in in computer science or a degree in, um, um, in you know anything really else to kind of get properly informed on housing but um, yeah like this is going to be um, something you really should get yourself informed on because it's going to be very hard probably to buy um, a house um, or to live in Dublin at all um, in the future if the current trajectory of the housing market um, stays the same. Um, even if we do um, have developers building more houses, um, you know, history um, fortunately has shown that the, it's a very volatile, um, quite unreliable way of providing housing. And there probably will be another crisis at the end of all of this again, um, and there'll be more austerity cutbacks um, and unless something is done by the Irish government, um, there's going to be more homelessness. It's going to be more difficult to get a mortgage. Um, and then housing is just going to, you know, podcasts like this are going to be being made in 2099 when our grandchildren are in VDP and saying the exact same things, except they live in a uh, commuter town in, in Offaly because they uh, can't get a house anywhere near Dublin. Um, so, yeah, that would be my my final thoughts thanks jack very well said as well um and last but not least tom any closing thoughts oh geez it's difficult to follow both of those up isn't it um i, I generally just say i agree completely with everything um andy and jack have been saying and um, even just adding more onto it i think especially in ireland there's um we we have a problem with kicking up a fuss you know there's not there's not enough people who are willing to kind of mobilize about these things. And just like Andy was saying, you know, the more, the more you educate yourself on it, the more you're going to be willing to talk like that compared to these guys. I'm at the very start of my edu like educational journey on learning about like the housing market and all the intricacies of it. But it really is like a, as, as soon as you start, start listening and start reading, you're going to be able to kind of contribute more to that conversation. Um, it like, it's like, we can talk even more about like, you know, reading books and all that kind of stuff. Um, one book that I really like actually is um, Housing Shock, The Housing Crisis and How to Solve I was, It. I was literally thinking of that. It's it's um, 100% the best book. I can't, I, I can't remember the guy's first name. It's like Hearn. I think he's Rory like, Hearn. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. Yeah. I, I referenced him once in one of my essays and I called him, I called him an economist. And my lecture, <laughs> my lecturer's comment on it was, Rory's a good friend of mine. He's a geographer. Don't mix it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, I, I recommend that. And also, um, I'm a big fan of Ono Breen, who's the housing spokesperson for Sinn Féin. He, I think him, out of all, I'm not a Shinner at all, but um, I think that he really, he really takes... Um, a theoretical perspective on housing and he doesn't treat it as like a financial matter which even if you don't agree with that perspective i think it's very reassuring to 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 be able to see a politician who's out there speaking about it um i he has a book as well um i wasn't oh, i wasn't yeah. yeah home to be honest i wasn't the biggest fan of the book um but i think his twitter is brilliant just um just to kind of challenge the you know the I guess the media bubble that Irish people find themselves in he really challenges is every article he sees and yeah. I, I think that's healthy um, especially if you don't believe in his views at least you can find all the contrasting views in the comments and that's brilliant another could guy I, 
could I quickly add on to that before I forget? Um, both those guys are really active podcasters as well. Um, and you, a Reboot Republic is a really good one, um, hosted by Rory Hearn, um, that Owen O'Brien regularly appears on. Um, and that's really good for hearing people talking about housing, which is almost the best way to learn about it because it is such a, you know, in the city person to person issue. But yeah. yeah. And then additionally, I am. Um... Councillor Anthony Flynn. I could be getting these names wrong. I hope I am. And that's right. But um, massively involved in inner city helping homeless, and he does a really good and I think importantly ethical kind of way of chronicling his like his experiences on the streets and dealing with these people who are obviously like firsthand victims of the housing and homelessness crisis. And it's just it really like brings things home. And um, it keeps saying just it's it's even more than like you know reading these twitter feeds or like reading these articles um i'd say even talk around like as someone who's I, i've grown up my whole life in blanchestown i'd be able to just get the bus into college speaking to people from like donegal or something like that you know speaking to my friends in college gives me another perspective on the housing crisis and just mm-hmm. asking them you know not just taking it at face value and recognizing it's so much more than you know a place to stay like it's it's a barrier to education you know it's not being able to go to dublin to go to you know dcu trinity ucd because of the massive pricing and because you're not able to do that um i have a friend who lives in luxembourg going to college next year was wanted to go to trinity then just realized they couldn't afford it because of the rent so now they're you know staying away there's so many different perspectives to it and it's great to see the extremes of homelessness and get engaged with them but like you it it's even more to recognize that it's really close to home just like andy um spoke about it at the end of his bit there um, and then again i can't <laughs> i can't recommend more kind of volunteering and getting just a, a perspective on the ground of people experiencing homelessness um it really it really is just like an eye opener and um, whether it is just like sitting down with someone or actually volunteering um volunteering with you know the vdp in trinity or whatever it's just it's eye-opening and it's shocking and it's you know it, it's, it's everything that it deserves to be like there should it, there shouldn't be any less of a reaction to that and you know those are the things that are going to make you want to talk um, and finally yeah email your tds <laughs> email your counselors like um i'm a person who does that at you know the slightest thing you know i knock my toe up the curb outside and i email my counselors telling them they need to fix that but it's so it's so true like there's not going to be yeah. There's not going to be a reaction if they don't feel the reaction. Mm. Uh, they're, if they're just feeling the heat for that 30 minute slot they have at Clareburn, you know, they're going to get over that. But if they're feeling the heat at every door they go to when the next election comes around, or if they feel the heat, you know, through their emails or through their phone calls, they're, they're, something's going to have to be done. And I, I really, really do believe that. So just, you know, don't be, don't be complacent in it. Um, if you don't feel like it's affecting you right now, I, guarantee you it's going to affect you down the line or you're going it's going to affect a close friend of yours and you're going to see the react like you're going to see the the hard the hardships that housing can cause so like you know be vocal and don't be shy to just ask people why ask them about their story and then you know relate to your tds and tell them they're doing a bad job <laughs> we'll presumably have um links to all of these things in the notes as well shouldn't we uh including by the way my blog which jack mentioned and it's called the bad blog and i think i will be posting something about housing this friday or next friday oh very exciting 
um, yeah, no, we can definitely put um, a little reference or source list or I don't know what you call it, an appendix to this listing a load of those mm. re uh, resources. Um, and thank you all for providing those because, yeah, I 100% agree that it is getting informed that is the most important thing. And I'll be the first to admit, I said at the start of this, I, I too often get caught up in the 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 kind of the zoomed in part of the issue like i my focus is on you know uh helping people in in homeless services and that sort of immediacy and to be honest i i think i have become quite cynical of the whole thing and being cynical is only productive to a certain extent past a certain point mm. it becomes ignorance and you know uh, as tough as it is to actually to see the stuff that's going on personally firsthand. And then, you know, it, it takes a lot of patience to be, able, to be able to then like go from that to sitting down and hearing this person who has all the privilege in the world rattle on for a while about how, you know, they're going to do this and that and that, and they don't follow through on any of it. Like it, it does make you a bit jaded to the whole thing, but um, that's something I need to improve on. And that's something that, um, as all the guys have said, it's so, easy to do relatively like it is reading it's it's you know it, it's a it's not a huge ask for a lot of people you know to to inform yourself and especially as they've all said it, it is something that affects um so many people that um it is absolutely worth worth looking into um and i count myself among the people who do need to look into it more so um i will definitely be doing that um and yeah, I know that I'm sure we turn this into a 24 hour podcast, but uh, unfortunately we have to cut it off there. Um, thank you guys so much for, for giving up your time. And I was going to say giving up your expertise. That's not the right thing <laughs> for providing your expertise and um, <laughs> your discussion uh, points. Like it, I learned so much. I'm sure that anyone listening to this learned so much and um, yeah, I don't know what to say other than thank you. It was really, really interesting and so, so productive and worthwhile. So yeah, thank you all so much for coming on. Thank you, Colonel. Thank you. Tim. So yeah, thank uh, you. we'll hopefully be um, releasing uh, a few more of these podcasts um, before the semester is out. I really would love to revisit um, maybe like a merge between homelessness and housing and kind of mm. move away from the focusing on um, sort of rough sleepers specifically, because obviously that's the angle that we're coming out from VDP, but maybe to, to provide a bridge between that first episode on homelessness and what we've talked about here. Um, hopefully we can explore that at some point in the future, but um, yeah, hopefully we'll be putting out more of these uh, in the next few weeks, so stay tuned. Um, so yeah, thank you all so much for listening and thank you all so much for, for being here as guests. And uh, we'll leave it there. Okay, thank you for listening. Bye.